Welcome, boils and ghouls, to Handle with Scare, a horror podcast brought to you by Tumbly Drunk and Holly Hooge. Be sure to stay connected with us via social media on Twitter at Handle with Scare. You can email the show at Handle with Scare Pod at gmail.com and find more information about our podcast on our website at Handle with Scare so joining me tonight, as always, is my co-host, Holly Hooch. Holly, you know, the week is finally here. Uh, after yes. dipping our toes in the water this last week, we are back with, uh, honestly, like our first fully fledged out episode together. Uh, so tonight we are deep diving into pedophobia in horror with the 2014 Austrian standout Goodnight Mommy. So before we jump into that you know, anything new and exciting? I know you just uh, moved into the new digs, uh, but anything else beyond that, whether it is horror related or outside of it? Not really, actually. I'm just uh, really excited to start this show. Um, things are opening up here in my neck of the woods. So that was insane. Just walking into a, a restaurant and not seeing masks. It's blowing my mind. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a new world, different, same world, I guess, from before. I don't know. It's freaking me out. But hey, let's talk some horror because that always puts me right at ease. Right on. So, uh, you know, my week's been uh, interesting. You know, last night was Twisted Tuesday. So uh, we actually watched George Romero's lost film Amusement Park. Uh, and I paired that with Hellfest from 2018. Uh, and, you, you know, I, I have to say, I after watching Amusement Park, I, I fully understand how all over the place the reviews for that movie were um you know because at its core it is a 51 minute movie uh that directly revolves around ageism Interesting. and okay. a, a lot of a lot of the uh, scenarios in the film and the messages that they're trying to come across still hold a lot of weight to this date uh, but one thing I will mention, and I, I feel like this is worth mentioning because I, I know people that will have issues watching this movie uh, because of some of the the noises within. Uh, so if you're someone who suffers from like uh, tinnitus, if you have ringing in oh. your ears, there are a lot of like chimes, bells and whistles that would probably drum that up quite a bit. Uh, so That's an interesting approach. <laughs> so just an <laughs> FYI, if your ears rain, uh, I would avoid amusement park, but I, I think it is worth a one-time watch. Uh, and a lot of stuff still holds a lot of weights because I know they touch up on, you know, kind of like forcing older people into homes. They talk about, uh, like how people treat one another depended on what their uh, value of wealth is. And a couple of other things. I don't want to deep dive too much into it, uh, but, you know, it just recently had landed on Shudder uh, here within the past couple of weeks. So we got to check that out last night. But anyways, that was last night. Uh, so as I mentioned at the top of the show, this month we are tackling our first phobia, which is pedophobia, uh, which, of course, you know, is the excessive <laughs> fear of children, infants, Toddlers, babies, you name it. If it is, you know, a small child, you're fearing it at this point in time. So, you know, we, we kind of brushed up a little bit on some of the aspects of this phobia this past week. And, you know, there's there's different attributes when it comes to children in general. You know, there are some people that fear actually having kids. 
Uh, you know, I brushed up on physical fear of it. Yeah. yeah you know, your body's changing. You're every, everything around you. It's yeah. really scary. <laughs> You know, your hormones are all over the place. You know, you start craving weird things that you you would never eat otherwise. You know, uh, you know, there's that that fear that your kid will just grow up to be a killer or just generally be an asshole. And, you know, one of the things that you and I were talking about, too, was just this this weird thing where people always try to divert problems within their child when it comes to, like, their bad behavior and then try to push it onto Mm -hmm. someone else. So it's like, it's never the parent's fault. It's never the child's fault. They're always looking for, like, that, quote, bad influence in that child's life where, you know, it couldn't possibly be my kid. My kid is an angel. Well, I think you're, I mean, there's a couple of really good reasons to do that, right? So the the very forward obvious one is that, well, you know, uh, kids tend to learn their habits from their parents. So if your kid's doing something bad, um, it reflects poorly on you and maybe not just on your parenting skills, but on like, you know, externally, but also, you know, inwardly like, oh, crap, I'm doing a crap job. Uh Although, of course, you know, kids can pick up uh, bad behavior from all sorts of places. But uh, then the second one is just also, yeah, just like not not feeling like you're connected to this person that you're raising or or understanding uh, exactly how they're developing. So there's a lot of really good reasons to freak out and not and, and really not want to believe that when your kid does something wrong, it's their fault <laughs> or your fault. Right. There, there's also the element that, uh, you know, kids are typically always messy. You know, I, I know quite a few germaphobes in, in, in my time. Uh, and, you know, kids, they get into everything. And they're, they're always dirty. Yeah, you know, like, you don't know where they've been. You don't know what they've been getting into. I don't know where they've been. They're kids, though. <laughs> they've been in the mud. You know, they've maybe... You know, maybe they uh, were... Just playing in the cornfield. We'll get into that in a bit because, uh, you know, there's some of that going on within the movie uh, that we're going to be talking about. There's a thin line between like a a free childhood and just being neglected left and right. (laughs) But yeah, we could talk about that. That's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we actually, you know, we sat down a couple of weeks ago. We kind of like drew out our roadmap for, you know, some of the early entries that we want to tackle within Pedophobia. So why don't you go ahead and introduce what our selection is for tonight? My pleasure. Tonight, we are doing Goodnight Mommy from 2014. This is from director duo Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz. A quick synopsis of the movie is uh, twin boys move to a new house with their mother after she has a face-changing cosmetic surgery, but under the bandages is someone the boys don't recognize. Dun, dun, dun. It's pretty <laughs> it's, I, I watched it. I loved it. I watched it again. It blew my mind again. It's such a wonderful movie. Absolutely. So let's let's jump right into this. So I, I have to say, like, of course, we open up with the very stereotypical. All right. The boys are playing. You got the twins, Elias and Lucas playing in the middle of the cornfields. And, you know, I don't know what it is with cornfields in horror. Obviously, you know, you have children of the corn. You have uh, the tall grass. There's always right. some like ailing or some creature hidden within the corn maze. Uh, but in this case, they're basically playing a variation of tag. Uh, where one of them is essentially uh, the person who is it is trying to hunt down the other one. So the other one is being the prey. And both of them uh, at different times within this movie actually don this uh, 
this mask, and they're both identical, obviously because they are twins, uh, but both of the masks are also the same, which is pretty interesting. And it's kind of like, I don't know if it, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be a bug because they do have this weird asphyxiation with collecting uh, like cockroaches. Yeah. Uh, beetles that they collect. Which uh, do come into play later on in the movie through some of the vivid dream sequences that we do get to see. Uh, which you notice the uh, the ant wallpaper in their bedroom? <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's very subtle, but it is there, uh, which is uh, a pretty interesting thing to note. Uh, so you know, early on in this movie, we do have some signs that you know Elias seems to be the quieter of the two twins. Uh, whereas Lucas is more adventurous, you know, at, mm-hmm. very early on, we start to see him kind of like wander off into the distance uh, into like this dark, like abyss, essentially, like some random opening. And, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit and we see Elias basically swimming alone, almost floating like a dead body, uh, right. which which could come into one of the p- potential explanations to uh the events that occur in this movie because there is a twist which we are going to get to but i, I feel like we need to kind of go through the course of the movie before we get to that point because goodnight mommy at its core is kind of like split into four different parts uh so the first part you really get into know both elias and lucas and then it kind of like switches over to the mom and kind of goes from there. But things seem a little bit off as soon as the mother is brought into the equation. And a lot of that is just due to the fact that, you know, the kids are just struggling to recognize her due to this face changing uh, surgery that she did have. Right. I mean, like, well, before we even get to her face, her new face, um, she is bandaged up. So that is actually something that everybody will know, even if you haven't watched the movie, if you've seen the trailer, because that's one of the big selling points that half of the movie, even actually two thirds of the movie, like you were saying, she is completely bandaged up. And it's it's, it's very, very jarring. It's particularly to, to know that this is your mother. And and so, yes, the, the boys are going back and forth, uh, uh, finding little reasons to think that she is not. And uh, yes, hilarity ensues. Yeah, so when we're talking about bandages with the mother, basically the only aspects of her face that you can see are her eyes as well as her lips. Otherwise, she is mm-hmm. fully bandaged up. Uh, that's not to say that they don't get, uh, like, little peaks here and there whenever she is applying some of, like, her uh, moisturizer or, like, some of her medicine uh, to right. her wounds on her face. Uh, but but all in all, you know, obviously, it's a, a very big change for the mom uh, as well as the kids just seeing her in that sort of state. And very early on, you know, things are kind of uh, amiss because we have this conversation between the mother and Elias where she offers Elias a drink. Mm-hmm. And Elias is asking about, you know, why there's only one drink and why his mother only cooked for one of the twins and not Lucas. So we're already starting to fi- like realize, hey, something is not right here. And, you know, in this sequence, we do see Elias actually sharing his drink and his meal with his brother. But it seems like early on, the mother is basically like looking for some form of apology from Lucas for for something. And, you know, initially we're kind of tipped that, you know, maybe it's because the fact that the boys were recently playing outside. They tracked a Mm -hmm. ton of mud into the house and the mother was basically telling them to strip down and to, you know, 
go do laundry, essentially, and not to, you know, I mean, what the first what, interaction, by the way, right? <laughs> yeah, basically, after uh, seeing the mother for the first time with the bandages. So early on, we're like, OK, you know, that that seems plausible. But uh, come to find out, that's not actually why she's so disgruntled. But, you know, we'll, we'll get into that in just a little bit. Exciting stuff. No, yeah, I um, I particularly liked uh, from the from the intro. Yeah, from the get go, she's really cold, and the very first thing she tells the boys is go get cleaned up before even um, really uh, talking to them about what she's gone through and how she's feeling and trying to, you know, create some sort of a bond for them to at least hug. And uh, it goes from that scene uh, in into another scene. I'm, I'm not quite sure if it's directly the next scene but into the the who am i game that they play where they put stickers on their forehead trying to figure out you know it's just a, a cute little game right and um i thought this was such a really great way to disclose so much information about the characters because i'm always looking at interesting ways for people to not just like step into a, a scene and go my name is so and so and this is what i'm all about blah 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 you know like you really want something really interesting to sort of tell you the story in, in a way that is so subtle that it's not taking you out of the moment. And um, the the answers in that in that game are so telling as well. Uh, they're they're wondering if this is really their mother. And the when she when it's her turn to play and she's got the sticker on her forehead, it says mother. And so she's going through these questions, like 20 questions, like, you know, who am I? And she cannot for the life of her say i'm mom i'm mother and i think that really sets up like the 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 big theme of the of the of the movie that uh the boys feel like they don't have a mother and so that they're they're constantly trying to you know pull her in and trying to uh get get her to be motherly ultimately right because really early on she starts to establish these new rules put in place uh because she's essentially looking to get some rest so she basically lays out some new ground rules for the twins where she needs absolute silence. Uh, she needs to have the blinds closed at all times. Uh, and if the kids are to play, she basically wants them to do so quietly outside, but it has to be within the garden. So they must not bring anything <laughs> into the house. Yeah, that, that too, because uh, they break that. They, they do break that <laughs> right pretty <away>. often uh, <laughs> right out of the gates. And, you know, I, I thought the, the garden aspect of that was pretty telling, too, because, you know, early on, we, we do know that the kids do like to go swimming. You know, they played in the mm -hmm. cornfields and they were they were running across like this very like soft, uh, like soil that was yes, kind of like was, a gelatin. Water underneath. Yeah. yeah, they kept bouncing on it. And I remember thinking, like, if one of them falls through. And they can't get back out like they're dead. <laughs> and, right. and I kept having that that thought as soon as, as as they were moving through the different seas of them playing outside, like, oh, they're swimming in the water. And one of them is underwater and there's bubbles coming up. You know, if they keep doing that, one of them could be dead. <laughs> and so I, I just kept repeating this uh, throughout, like, these uh, uh, moments of them just kind of, you know, having fun together or really just keeping themselves occupied because there's no, nobody else around, mm -hmm. which is, uh, um, and something that I hadn't really like added or given too much weight for the first time I gave, uh, I watched the movie, but the second time around, like it just becomes so obvious how incredibly isolated they are, but going back to the plane, right. Um, yes. So on the one hand, I know that there's a, a you know people that say like oh you know it's 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 too bad that there's you know parents are are helicopter parents and kids are not allowed to go out and play and you know just come back when the streetlights come on. Mm -hmm. That is so dangerous. Like 
I, I don't know a single parent these days that follows those rules anymore. Like they know exactly where their kid is at at all times. And I don't know what's better, but it can't be what they were doing because that looked really neglectful. Right. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that, too, is magnified tenfold, especially if you have an infant. Uh, so to, to pull from a real life example of this, I was over at my sister's house the other day and, you know, they have a pool uh, and, you know, we, we do have a, a baby in the house. Uh, and my my younger nephew is, you know, running out onto the deck to jump in the pool and then he leaves the uh, the door open, basically. <laughs> yeah so it's just like um it's like you, you can't do that thanks a like, lot <laughs> make sure you close the door behind you we don't want the baby to get out uh because you know there is a pool out there not that there wasn't anyone outside on the deck at the time but it's just you know you you, you practice those things you you have those safety parameters in place and you want everyone to kind of like abide by that so you know when you see these kids like freely playing knowing that you know there are like these large ponds, there's that very soft soil. And, you know, you, you don't know what the integrity of said soil is because, sure, you can hear all the water swishing underneath, but, you know, it, it's basically just like thin ice. You know, at any right. given point, they could potentially fall through and potentially drown. Uh, but and they're jumping on it like it's a trampoline. I mean, only for a second, but I was mm -hmm. thinking like, man, <laughs> so dangerous. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of, like, those uh, moon shoes. I don't remember those oh, <laughs> from, like, yeah. the 90s. <laughs> the little trampoline boots or platforms. I don't know what you would call them, but, like, I remember I remember growing up and seeing those. I'm like, these are the coolest thing. Not really, but uh, really, it, yeah. it was such an interesting <laughs> concept at the time. Yes. And because, you know, not everyone could afford a trampoline. Right. Now, but <laughs> I... <laughs> <laughs> with moon boots right or yeah. was it moon shoes no it was one of the two it was it, it doesn't matter right because they were you know the kind of ridiculous things that every kid wanted but i, I it kind of thinking back to like uh as i was watching the movie the second time thinking about how far back the neglect started mm -hmm. uh one of the things that we know uh later on in the movie is that she used to be a tv host right, right. and so she had this uh a a pretty decent career where she was featured in in magazines and she's got um i mean not, not only do you have the tv show in the magazines but just a, a, cele a minor celebrity in general and um there is this recording that the boys play for themselves it's her singing a lullaby mm -hmm. and she is really really sweet on the recording which she is no longer right so uh when when we meet her she's she's uh, very, very kind of mean and 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 cold. I was gonna say calculating, but that's not really it. Uh, but in this recording that they're really attached to, I was thinking about that. And the boys are ten, and the um, the recording seems substantially older. For other clues, we will we will release we we will release later. Uh, and I think to myself, there was no way that that recording was made when they were ten. They were it was likely made when they were like four. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's 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 so it basically like you know you know told me like okay so she's a working mom and she's she's probably traveling quite a bit so she made this recording for them and they just keep playing it and so maybe like earlier in in this story uh, there was a milder neglect just because she just wasn't around and but whereas now it's 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 pretty strong <laughs> and very direct because she is around right so knowing that the boys are seeing like such a drastic change. Uh, within their mother, 
you know, they're, they're kind of split down the middle. Lucas is fairly quick to note that, you know, the mother is acting very differently than, her, you know, her normal self. Elias is on the other side of the fence where he just kind of is chalking it up to, you know, the surgery that she had. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, like, going to that recording, you know, that does kind of, like, tie in later because the recording and a lullaby that she is singing is Lucas's favorite lullaby, and it's something that they kind of question her on uh, later on where, you know, she, she didn't really know what it was. So, you know, there are different points in this movie where she's just really struggling to communicate or really struggling to know who she is. And, you know, uh, uh, one of the bigger themes within this movie is miscommunication. We'll get to that later. But, you know, the neglect is right out of the gate. You know, we know mm -hmm. something is wrong. But, you know, the boys are just trying to figure out okay, is this actually her mother or is this someone completely different? Because this is a complete 180 from the mom that they know. And there are a number of red herons kind of like placed throughout this movie that leads you down the path of, okay, is this mother their actual mom or is this someone completely different? And one of the first things that we see is this photograph that has the mom with one of her friends who looks an awful lot like her. Maybe not so much to the point where they could be identical twins, but it's pretty close. Mm -hmm, yeah. And it's it's so funny that uh, they, they they do this, uh, this scene where they're they're convinced that, you know, she's not really mother, be, their mother, because there's this picture where there's a, a, a twin. Right. And they're thinking, well, here's a possibility that she could be somebody else. But they themselves are twins. And so for them to, I don't, I mean, it's kind of like just, again, one of those little like Easter eggs where you think, oh, well, if anything should have given away the twist, it should have been something like that, where mm -hmm. uh, uh, identity is kind of seen in, a, in, a, in an interesting way. Absolutely. So, you know, talking about some of the behavioral changes within the mother character, uh, one of the first things that we see is... You know, the kids are, they're going out, and they, they break one of the rules pretty early on, not to bring anything in the house. They end up uh, finding this cat that they bring into their home, end up trying to hide from the mother. Uh, and, you know, the mother kind of, like, barges into the room looking for, you know, what the boys have been up to, because clearly they are trying to hide something, because both of them are, like, sitting on the bed. You know, their posture is up straight. They're trying to, like, hide the cat who's, like, underneath and she finds a lighter, you mean? <laughs> and, yeah, and, and she ends up finding a lighter. And the mom is just freaking out. And Elias makes this smart ass comment to her about why he has this. And it just triggers her immediately to kind of like push his head against the bed. And she she almost smothers him, I, I guess would be the best way to put it. Like, she's applying yeah, she's pressure. Him. She's not, like, uh, beating him, but mm -hmm. she is overpowering him, and she lays on top of him in a forceful way, like, just to sort of... Uh, it looks like she's asserting dominance, basically. <laughs> yeah, so you... And I was like, oh, neat trick. Yeah, you, you have Lucas up on the, the top bunk, you know, trying to get his mother's attention. Uh, nothing is actually happening, though, because she's just so irate at this point in time and you know the lighter part of this is going to play into one of the potential theories later on in the movie as to what is actually going on because there there are a couple of scenarios that are kind of hinted at 
that, that could mm, be the cause a of a lot of different traumas that this family is going through at this point in time. Uh, so what happens to the cat? Well, the cat eventually dies, uh, which he they was do. He a very old cat, though, remember? He, he like, was. Man, that cat looked old. I mean, he was he was barely moving at the time that they actually rescued him, and they end up finding him in kind of like the uh, like the laundry room or the boiler room. Uh, and you know, there's this weird like turnaround where the boys are like, you know what, we're going to empty your cockroach tank because that's their pets, uh, and they <laughs> they fill it with water, and then they put the dead cat inside of the water, and then they end up placing it on, like, their coffee table in the living room for the mother to find. Try well, they're convinced that the mom killed the cat. Right. So I don't know if they're trying. And it was it's a very weird thing that they decided to uh, present the cat in that, the dead cat in that manner, which was, yeah, in, in the fish tank, or in the, I'm sorry, the, the beetle tank. But, uh... <laughs> Like, it's, uh, yeah, that was, I didn't, I, I'm sitting there going like, but what does it mean? <laughs> because I did not understand mm -hmm. that part. But ultimately, that yeah, they're confronting their mother. They think that she has killed the cat, and they just basically want to say, you know, fuck you, look mm -hmm. at this. Yeah, see, I kind of took it as they were trying to preserve it, where maybe it was a moment where they're like, Okay, like I don't think it was water, by the way. I think it might have been like alcohol or something. Because uh, that the could be that it. They were dumping in. They had a little um, uh, hazardous stickers okay. on them too, and also explains why it caught on fire later. <laughs> so maybe they were uh, going through taxidermy. I don't know. I don't know how you preserve a, a dead cat. Money. They live in the middle of nowhere. They get up to all sorts of shit. I mean, they just have money to give a. Uh, to steal from their mother to give to Red Cross. That comes in later uh, in a really awkward exchange, too. Uh, but yeah, like, that that was just a weird thing. I'm like, what What are they doing? Like, okay, like, are, are they just going to be like, ah, I gotcha. I was like, this doesn't make any sense at this point in time. I mean, you know, and then they, they place it right in the middle of the living room, and the mom freaks out, and then she comes out. Uh, she takes some of those those cockroaches that are their pets and dumps them in until until they come out and... And, you know, look at her face to face. Mm -hmm. So and then she um, she grabs uh, Elias by the neck and in a very forceful way. So, you know, a little bit of a, um, a physical abuse there, which, um, you know, that's kind of a, an interesting way how like they kind of incorporate like little bits of it. But it's I mean, we're not well, they there's a little bit of slapping in the movie. <laughs> but uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that the 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 physical abuse is. It's small, but the fact that it's there just kind of speaks volumes, right? right. To like the like the level of uh, unwillingness uh, on her part to engage in a healthy way and get to the root problem and actually figure out what the fuck is fucking you know messing with her kids. And she's just so frustrated with the whole ordeal that she'd just rather take these easy, unproductive routes. Routes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she's basically looking to band-aid fix it rather than actually fixing the problem in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyways, the boys are are just frantic at this point, so they concoct this plan to spy on the mother by planting basically a baby monitor underneath her bed. <laughs> and, you know, this is really where the movie starts to, you know, kick it up a notch. All right, so they, they essentially start what I, I like to call, like, Operation War on Mom, where there's a sequence <laughs> where, you know, they they're basically they lock themselves in their room. They they block off the door, and they are uh, basically like sharpening these like toy arrows that they had 
uh, that, you know, kind of have like the suction cups on them, but they take that part off and then they, they start to sharpen the, the wood of them. So it's actually an arrow rather than just like a suction cup at the end. So it's a self, right? Yeah. So like <laughs> they're going full, full, uh, Rambo at this point in time. So they start to take shifts where, you know, one of them is keeping guard. The other one is, you know, getting some rest. And, you know, like, kind of like throughout the movie, they like to use the egg timer quite a bit, whether it is brushing our teeth, whether yeah, it's flossing. That. Yeah. And that that always kind of intrigued me, just knowing that, for one, if you're taking shifts, especially, you know, being on guard and sleeping, an egg timer would not suffice by any stretch of the imagination. You know, it's it's fine for, you know optimizing water usage in the bathroom or, you know, counting the amount of time you want to uh, actually brushing your teeth and things like that. But the take and shift aspect of it, like, just threw me completely off guard because they still use the egg timer in that sequence as well. So it's just like, it, it was so jarring because I didn't really feel like that had a place at that point in time. But, you know... It just means, like, their life is really... Reg <laughs> well, they themselves regiment themselves like mm -hmm. they they take care of themselves and so like there's nobody there to tell them how long to brush their teeth they 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 sort of uh they, they have a timer for it you know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but that's really interesting because i hadn't really thought about that yeah so they're at the point now where they're just like okay if she comes in here we're gonna lay waste to her we're open it's open fire it's open season on mom at this point in time or whoever this woman is or could be uh, so then we, we get we get, you know, a couple of dream sequences here uh, where we see Lucas standing in front of the mother uh, with a box cutter in his hand. And we, we have this visual of him slicing the mother's chest open <laughs> and you see the cockroaches spilling out from the open wound. And this That's isn't disturbing. This isn't the only <laughs> dream sequence that we do have in the movie. There's also another one where uh, the mother basically like strips naked and starts to wander off into the woods, uh, which mm -hmm. is another one. Uh, but you know, if if you don't like creepy crawlies, that uh, that chest bursting can definitely get to you. And I, I know they were having some issues actually getting the cockroaches to come out because like uh, the. The prop was like uh, so warm inside. Was really warm. You're right. right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I read that too. I'm like, they oh just, man. Like, push him from the bottom and like hit him with a with a blow dryer, so it encourages them encourage them to come out. Right. My 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 other favorite part about just learning more about the movie is just knowing that uh, the cameraman could not actually directly look at the cockroaches. He could only look at it through uh -huh. the lens. <laughs> Ah, uh, what a baby. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I'm the same way. I don't want to look at cockroaches. I'm okay with mice, but cockroaches, just they're too small and they move too fast. I'm sorry, but go on. Yeah, and you know, they, uh, they, they lay eggs and then you, you really get a problem. Yeah. <laughs> lay eggs in your ear while you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. I mean, it didn't happen in the movie, but that's just in general. Or, or they try to crawl in your mouth, which does happen in the dream sequence. No. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, that was kind of like, trying to figure out like you know what you know the reason for for the scenes i mean because i felt like uh the entire movie like every scene is pulling like double shifts right mm -hmm. every scene is just telling you two different three different stories and uh it and which is what makes it such a good movie that you can rewatch it and just catch all these different things 
but I was sitting there going like, okay, but, but why though? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess ultimately just like, that's not mom. She's not human. Look at all these bugs coming out of her. Yeah. You see, like the whole like mask situation in this movie or, you know, it, it kind of works twofold because you got the boys who are always wearing the bug masks within the movie when they're mm -hmm. playing, you know, obviously the mother is covered in bandages. So the cockroaches or at least like that dream sequence aspect Kind of reminded me of like the the ugliness beneath the surface where we, we, we all kind of have that, that little part of us. And it sometimes it just it, it spills out. And in the mother's case in this movie, um, it, it's just from a different lens from the kid's perspective, mm -hmm. because, you know, they, they start to see more and more neglect. Their mother's lashing out a lot of them, and they're just so distraught at this point in time where they're trying to just get to the core of the problem. They're like, okay, they are convinced that this is not their mother. This has to be someone else because their mother wouldn't do these things. Their mother wouldn't go and kill a cat. Their mother wouldn't, you know, push Elias on the bed or anything like that. Or, like, be extremely strict as they have uh, been within this movie. And so there is a part where the mother is trying to be more vocal with the kids and trying mm -hmm. to make amends with them. And she basically gives him a peace offering of a boomerang. Uh, and the kids, they ask her whether or not they can go outside to try it. And, you know, she allows them to. And, of course, what happens? The kids bolt out of the house and they rush towards the town. Now, we know they're in, like, a remote location, so I don't know, like, how far off the, the small town is. Uh, but they do eventually go to the church uh, and they're looking to find the priest who eventually will drive them over to the police station so they can kind of tell them, hey, like, you know, we think there's an intruder in her house. This isn't her actual mom. And we start to see this interaction afterwards between the priest and the mother. And the mother is basically, like, explaining her side of the story, saying that, you know, everything's been a bit much between both the accident as well as the separation. Mm -hmm. So that's when <laughs> that's when things start to uh, become more clear. So we we know there's some sort of major accident. Now, we don't know whether uh, the accident was the reason for her cosmetic surgery. It, it could very well have been due to her career. Maybe she was just getting, you know, facial reconstruction or anything like that because she is an anchor on TV. Uh, but, you know, she's also going through a, a divorce because, like, we, we never see a father figure throughout the entirety of this movie. The only time she ever references the dad is, I don't care what he does. I'm not, I'm not going to play this game or I'm not going to play along or something, something along those lines. So there are no pictures of the dad anywhere throughout the house at one point, And in fact, the point where they discover the picture of um, their mom with uh, her identical looking friend. Uh, there's uh, pictures of vacations that are missing. There are pictures of the wedding that are missing. Mm -hmm. Basically, every picture of the dad is missing, and so uh, uh, that that you know that that's 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 very telling to the boys. I'm so excited to talk about all the tidbits, but we have to get through the through the synopsis. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let's jump to the end. Well, okay. So, all right, we fast forward a little bit, and you know the kids are just at the point where like, okay, we need answers now. Like, this isn't our mom. Let, let's get the truth out of this woman and get her the heck out of here. So the boys end up restraining the mother uh, as she sleeps. Wanna, yep. 
I did want to jump in and say this one thing mm-hmm. that I really appreciated about this movie. The movie is a, a um, an hour and 30 some minutes long. Right. Uh, this action starts an hour in. So we get 30 minutes of nonstop uh, horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, you know, it's it's a different level of horror. It's a different kind of horror than your typical slasher. But then uh, the reason I bring this up is that there are plenty of movies that are kind of um, they they build up the tension quite a bit, just like this movie. But then you don't get a, uh, an extended uh, time of 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 just seeing a lot of action. Uh, even for example, uh, Midsummer, like it's only what like the last ten minutes mm-hmm. that you really get to see some action. Not this one. So I was really appreciative of the fact that, yes, I got a whole 30 minutes to be freaked the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, so uh, enter the torture sequences sequences of the movie where they restrain the woman as she's sleeping, uh, basically using some of the spare bandages that they find in her bedroom. So they start they start to question her about where the real mother is. So the kids are just downright torturing the woman using a magnifying glass and direct sunlight. So they open up all the blinds and, you know, they're using the magnifying glass to, uh, you know, pinpoint the sun's rays onto the woman's face, knowing that she just had surgery. And we do start to see like a little bit of deformity in her face uh, with some scarring. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was a a nice touch there. But, you know, let's see too. They were killing uh, uh, Elias was killing bugs with a magnifying glass too which was interesting because he collects them and he's got ants on his wall but then he's killing them too it's a very you know what it's like the same relationship he has with bugs he has with his mother Mm -hmm. there you go there he 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 both loves (laughs) and hates them you know he wants to see the best but you know sometimes you just got to get rid of them that's basically what it is uh so you know, he, he's still not, like, fully... Elias still isn't fully convinced that this isn't his mother. But Lucas is just hell-bent, you know, it's not her, 100%, you know, we need to get to the bottom of this. And at one point, Elias does free the woman. Uh, and, you know, she attempts to flee the house, only to get snagged on a tripwire that the boys ha- had played. And we see her head smack... Right on the concrete. Oh, it is awful. (laughs) I just rewatched it today and I was just like, oh, it makes it makes you cringe so hard. Okay, I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. So we we get to like the the finale aspect of the movie uh, where the boys drag the mother back into the house and they're kind of like set up in the, the family room. And we see like a bunch of candles lit around them. And that's when we start to learn more about what has actually happened, because uh, the mother is actually talking to Elias at this point, saying that Lucas had died, uh, so Elias is the only other person in the room with the mom at this point in time. Uh, but Elias is able to see his brother with him, uh, but the mother can't see him. You know, obviously there's a lot to be said about the connection uh, in regards to twins, you know, being one of the same wavelength, always being able to know what the other is thinking, having their own communication without actually having to communicate. You know, like it's like the words unspoken language, essentially. And Elias ends up basically lighting the fire and burns the mother alive. In the, in the in the final acts, and you know, we we do get to see the boys. Uh, back in the cornfield, they emerge through it and they reunite with the mother. Basically, they embrace, uh, you know, they smile, and then it just kind of like incinerates to end the right. movie. 
And uh, that outro scene is uh, the equivalent of the intro scene. The intro scene being that uh, sort of 1950s, 60s, um, you know, a woman with a bunch of kids. So, you know, supposedly a mother and children, but it's like a bunch of them. It's like seven kids, mm-hmm. you know, in later Hosen singing really sweet songs like a lullaby, which is, is that the same lullaby that they sing in the in the movie? Right. So, uh, yeah. So basically, like, oh, they all reunite at the end, but really, it's all in Eli- Elias's head, of course, because the little dude lost it a long time ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's what I. Um, the first time you watch the movie, there is a ton of um, of clues that mm. Lucas is dead, right? right. And um, <clears throat> I was watching. Uh, I was reading up on some other reviews, some other opinions from other people, and some people were uh, were dismissing the movie, saying like, "Well, the twist was so predictable." And I thought to myself, like that, if that were the end of the movie, yes, it would be predictable. But the the different layers in this movie just were out of this world. I was so I was so in, uh, just enthralled by it. Um, so once you when you watch it the first time, it's kind of like Memento. Remember that movie Memento, where you watch it the first time, you're super excited, and then the second time you watch it, you have a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was boredom because you're because there's so much repetition in that movie that you're like, fuck. I'm going to go get a beer. <laughs> and, and it's not the same case with this film, but in, in just saying that uh, the first time I watched the movie, the is she, isn't she, is he, isn't he, was mm. enough to really throw me off the scent of what's really going on in the movie, which is um, basically like uh, Elias uh, having just not developed properly basically so uh when i was getting back to like the pictures of the boys that are around the house uh i thought i noticed so please correct me if i'm wrong but i thought i noticed that a lot of the pictures were of them younger Mm -hmm. so in the movie the twins are 10 and they are identical and but in the pictures uh, i'm sure it's the pictures of the of the actual actors when they were like three or four and so and so i've got this theory right that uh the accident which we don't know what happened it could have been fire because the mom was really upset about that lighter or it could have been water because there were all those bubbles in the pond, right? So it was something that involved um, uh, Elias accidentally killing his brother. I don't know if I should call him Elias or Elias. I'm going to call him Elias. All right. And so the the that action was so devastating that he, he was unable to cope with the loss of his brother. So he developed the delusion that he still existed, right? Um I'm going to let you talk for a second because I got a lot more of this, but I don't want to just monopolize (laughs) the whole time. What do you think so far? Well, yeah, that's like one of the things that I like about this, because, you know, there are definitely elements that, you know, you could argue for any one of those three. But uh, but I think the the thing that really stands out is more just the reasoning behind the cosmetic surgery with the mother, Ah. because between between all of the options there, you know, we're talking uh, Lucas Drowden. You know, that one's kind of ruled out from the get-go, primarily just due to the fact that, you know, it wouldn't cause, like, that sort of scarring or anything on the mother's face. Uh, So that leads into, like, the potential car accident where Mm -hmm. uh, he could have died, or the fire. And, you know, to me, out of of all of the possibilities that are presented to us, the fire seems like the most logical one out of the lot, because, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that lighter situation really stood out, because at the time... We didn't really, like fuck, we, yeah. we understand it. Like, you know, I, I get the mamas who want the kids playing with fire. Uh, but, you know, Elias seems to be pretty handy uh, as an arsonist really early on in his life. So, like, I'm just saying, like, 
based off of how the movie ended and the fact that she did freak out, it that seems like the most obvious out of the lot. You know, I, I don't think he drowned, but that's not to say that, you know, the boys weren't adventurous. They didn't go off and do stupid things as most kids would. Right. Uh, but I, I like the little detail of when Elias was floating uh, down the river when he was swimming because you know, mm-hmm. he, he did kind of look like a dead body. He was doing the dead man's float in, in that point in time. So, you know, it's this is a movie that at its core, they like to throw a lot of red herrons in it where, you know, yes, they're absolutely. they're they're trying to string you along, but they want to present all of these different scenarios that could have played out. And it's up to you to kind of decide which of those paths actually went down. So I, I guess the bigger question would be, from the mother's perspective, was the cosmetic surgery something that was planned? Because we we did get a visual of like a couple of pictures that were like strung up on uh, kind of like a, a blackboard. Right. And she uh, looked um, perfectly fine. So yeah, I, I it was absolutely cosmetic surgery. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, but she was already a TV personality. She was already right. a, considered a beautiful woman. So it was less of a, oh, I need to change my nose and more of mm-hmm. a. I need to stay current with the times and try to look as young as possible. Right. So it, it, but there, the question that I have is more, was her decision of that predetermined or was it a result of the accident? Because that's where the disconnect kind of is for me personally with the movie. I think that um, she was actively and maybe not consciously, but she was actively abandoning Elias. So uh, I have the the this the sense that like the accident happened, Elias developed all of these emotional and psychological issues. They try to work it out. It broke up the marriage. It, it sent her over the edge, and she, after some time, decided to start again. And maybe she did so by abandoning already abandoning the identity of mother, already going cold, already like uh, um, you know just sort of really adding a lot of distance. But I have uh, I wrote a list of mm. at ways in which she is abandoning Elias in- <laughs> actively. So she is selling the house. She is selling the mm-hmm. family home, right? Which the and, kid doesn't uh, know anything she- about. Exactly, which is would freak any kid out. Um, the uh, bulk buying of frozen meals. That I thought was actually a pretty telling one because she is saying, I might not be around. I'm not. I'm definitely not cooking you anything. Here are your frozen pizzas for the rest of the, the year. And it's there's not even two of them. It's just one. So she's definitely planning on not cooking for that kid ever again, or you know, at least for a long time. The cosmetic surgery um, to him says, "Oh, you're changing your face. You're not my mother." To her, it might say, "I'm going to start anew. Um, I'm going to freshen up myself." But basically, also actively saying, "I'm going to take off these little traits that you might have recognized as your mother." And in some of the interviews with the directors, that's something that they bring up, right? So one of mm-hmm. the uh, the seeds that the that that sort of sp- that became this movie was there's apparently this um, uh, uh, glow up show in, in, in Austria where uh, women have makeovers. And in a couple of those, and these are pretty dramatic makeovers that involved uh, uh, cosmetic surgery. In a, in a lot of these makeover shows at the very end of the big reveal, the mother comes out to her family and like, oh, look how beautiful I am. And my teeth are fixed and that mole is gone and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the kids, they freak out because that's not their mother's face. And mm-hmm. while while it's not you know the face of a of a their face their mother's face wasn't that of a model it was their mom's face you know my mom has that like crooked like, like you know nose or she's got that weird eyebrow or some shit like that right and so she is changing her face she has that dating profile did you catch that where she was mm-hmm. they they look at a video and I guess 
in in our heads, we might be thinking like, oh, they're just trying to find evidence that she's a different person. But that is a dating video. She is looking for a new life and she's already been very neglectful of them. So what's going to happen? She's going to go out, find somebody else, fall in love, start a whole new family. Um, let's see. I wrote some other shit down. <laughs> let's see she's checking herself out a lot right so there's a couple of scenes where she's checking out her own body again sort of moving away from motherly activities towards more womanly activities like you know who will find me attractive is this attractive to somebody which is not a bad thing but it is some it's just a little tiny indicator right Mm -hmm. and um and also you know i was i'm a little confused because i thought i wasn't aware that the same song that Lucas was Lucas's favorite song was the song that she guessed. I thought that she was guessing a lullaby because the last time she paid attention to her kids was when they were babies. And whereas now, like Lucas, same age as Elias in his head, would have a more mature idea of what. But I I have to go back and see what songs they were because that was just something I made up. (laughs) Anyway, so that's what I'm thinking that, uh, you know, the, the kids, whether they're I mean, the kids are really clever. And in fact, you know, that. You know, the, the couple of different scenes that we saw of how how well, um, uh, you know, Elias, fe- Elias figured out how to con- uh, uh, o- uh, overpower his mom, how to torture her. Like well, one of the scenes that I thought was really clever was when uh, she locks him in the ro- in the room. And uh, at one point she comes back and she unlocks the room because she's decided that that was not a good thing to do. And they place, uh, or Elias places books all the way up to the handle. So, cause it's a bar handle so that it can't turn when she's trying to get in. And so it's essentially locked from the inside. Now in my stupid head, I would have thought to like, try to like barricade it, which they're too, uh, he's too small to get anything big enough to like against the door. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just being able to not have, not being able to move that handle is enough to lock that door. And, I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, yeah, they're <laughs> smart. So even though they're not subconsciously uh, um, putting all these things together, or maybe they are, like, it's definitely dawning on them that, you know, they they don't have a mom. And it, what's really, like, sad is that, like, they don't have any way to understand what reality is, particularly if they had that, if, yeah, that trauma early on. I keep saying they, sorry. <laughs> but if they have this trauma early on and they have no concept of, of reality, and if the one person who's supposed to tell them what that is that they can't trust, it's all fucking out the window, you know, like mm-hmm. there's, there's no going back. So that, that was, um, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, miscommunication is definitely one of the biggest themes throughout Goodnight Mommy. And, and I think one of the more telling things about that element of the movie is during a whole question and aspect between Elias and the mother the mother really doesn't do a whole lot to try to like persuade Elias that she is in fact their mother you know because you know Elias is trying to ask her a bunch of questions and she's given a lot of not answers like she's just not really being verbal she's not communicating at all with him so it doesn't really do anything to persuade him that she is in fact his mother uh, throughout all of this, which is is very telling, you know, because, you know, she's not able to, uh, you know, figure out uh, what Lucas's favorite song is. And, you know, this is a woman who is just riddled with grief uh, regarding the loss yeah. uh, of her husband through divorce and also Lucas from, you know, whatever the accident is, uh, whether it's a car accident or a fire, mm-hmm. probably probably the latter uh, in this case in time due to the lighter sequence. 
Uh, and she's just so caught up in everything that she neglects to tell Elias about her operation, what's going on with the house, with it being listed uh, in her effort to basically start anew, whether that is with Elias or not, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, like, that. there's also a possibility, like, Elias could be too far gone at this point in time if he's already committed arsony at uh, 10 years old or even before that. In this mm -hmm. case, if he did start the initial fire that killed his brother. So, you know, we have this period for the mother where she is in this transition. Uh, and, you know, she's often walking a house wearing this unfamiliar face to the boys. And at the core of the story, really, it's about a mother and the son trying to come to terms with uh, their losses, both as individuals as well as a family. And neither of them really know how to deal with it. You know, with Elias, it's more, all right, Lucas is still here with me. I still see him all the time. He still talks to me. We still communicate. Uh, and with the mom, it's more, I'm, she's kind of just like shut down between yeah. herself and her kid uh, or her remaining kid in this case. And she's just trying to do something to uplift her spirits. And, you know, maybe that's the reason why she got the surgery. Maybe she just wanted to start from the ground up again. Uh, whether, you know, it might have even been something extremely minor with the cosmetic surgery. I, you know, we don't really it know like what It was very minor. I couldn't tell <laughs> the difference. She, she got the mole removed. Big deal. Like, you know, they must have yeah. done other shit. Right, and that kind of tied into the questioning aspect that the boys had, where they were simply just asking her to show them her birthmark that she had, uh, which was that mold that got removed from the surgery. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I know I was going in pretty hard in on 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 good old mom there about how she's actively walking away from Elias. But, you know, in thinking about how they, they drop clues about the fact that this has been going on for a while. So uh, they, the priest is familiar with their situation. So clearly she has sought at least some sort of help there, at least reached out. Well, I don't know if reached out, but, you know, it is known. Um, they, did they talk about a psychiatrist or some sort of treatment about what they should be doing? But um, essentially what I'm getting at is that this has been going on for a long time. The dad doesn't hasn't really tried to change it or at least we don't know that he has because he plays along and she has decided that she's not going to play along anymore and we don't know if she went through a phase where she tried to do it with kindness but we know that now she's really going for tough love <laughs> and mm -hmm. um and i don't mean to go hard on her because when you look at it from a a, a the perspective of a mother who's lost a kid it's just like how devastating would that be? And like the 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 one kid that you have for years doesn't have friends, doesn't do anything. All he does is pretend that his brother's around and how incredibly damaging that could be for her own psyche and turn her into this um, into this very detached person. <laughs> this is so sad. <laughs> Sorry, it was just it's, it's it's a good movie, damn it. But yeah, like I don't I think that um it's not necessarily that she's evil or that she's vain or that she uh doesn't love him. I just think she's just too damaged too to really fix him and maybe he's not fixable. And again, that goes back to my even my personal fear of of kids is that you know, what if you mess them up? Like what if you 
if you or you can't help them right you have to be the adult and what if you need help and and you're just and then both of you go down because you know like even though you're the adult and you because you can't manage you know a couple of lives get ruined right so it's um it's pretty devastating like it's a it's a um a devastating concept and a really devastating uh, movie which was i thought was really powerful yeah because when you when you factor in her her line of work being a, a news anchor mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if she wasn't home a lot, that basically meant that after the divorce, the kid, uh, Elias, was left to his own device. Mm-hmm. You know, so who who knows what sort of mischief and shenanigans he was up to? You know, he, he could have been lighting the cornfield on fire, for all we know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so like there's there's any number of things that kid could have been up to outside of just, you know, going around collecting cockroaches to uh, keep in a tank. Uh, and those are uh, domesticated. I think those are store bought. They <laughs> they, they, they could be. <laughs> but then we don't know what kind of dad they that you know he had either, right? Because mm-hmm. he's completely MIA. I mean, you you do you do hear that he visits him, but if um if there's absolutely no input or you know, I mean, it, it, you can't really tell what kind of dad he is from from the movie, but you can tell that he's not there, right? So shoot, but you know that's how divorce is. You gotta you, know, you gotta pick one. <laughs> Yeah, and even in, in that situation, too, it's like the dad was there just as much as the mother actually was, knowing that she was completely shut down. There you go. Yep. So, so I don't know. It's it's I, it's rough. What did you think about um, the sequence when he reaches out to people? I thought was really in. Um, I've been reading into this shit all fucking day, <laughs> and I know that I'm overdoing it, so... <laughs> I'm going to try to temper my, my theories, because uh, I know that, you know... I'm guessing most of them aren't right, but mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was just really interesting, like the different types of people that he interacts with. Right. So he avoids the the farmer dude. So he avoids just a plain man, but he goes to authority figures, right? He wants to go to the police. He goes to a priest and, and then later uh, he interacts with the red cross people. So these are ultimately like different people that are supposed to be um, resources for help that completely aren't, they don't help him at all. I mean, like mm-hmm. the priest, you can sort of understand because, you know, like, he knows the mom. He's like, well, let me just take you back home to your mom. But the Red Cross people, though, was a little upset about him. Like, seriously, there's this kid alone in a house, and he gave you 70 euro. And then you just be like, okay, thanks, bye. And they're like, well, we got so much money. Let's just go. <laughs> so, that was really annoying. But uh, ultimately, I thought that it was just kind of like, oh, wow. Like, you know, he tries to reach out for help. And all these different people that are supposed to be there for help, you know, they can't. They just kind of take him right back to mom, who's, like, also just really shut down. Yeah, the thing I took away from that is just, like, the Red Cross knock, you know, no one answers, and then, you know, the door's unlocked, so they're like, all right, I'm just gonna walk right in. <laughs> right? That's I was like, that, that's not how that works. Like, you just, you don't do that. <laughs> passing, sir. <laughs> but yeah, it is very telling knowing that, you know... The, the Elias is basically trying to convince them that, you know, their mother's upstairs, she's basically just sick, or she's resting, and, you know, they they don't fully believe him, and at one point they do try to wander upstairs, because the mom at this time is tied up in the bed, she has, I'll like, the duct, yeah. duct tape around her mouth, she's screaming for help, but, of course, it's muffled at this point in time, uh, due to her current situation and how, how Elias had left her, and as soon as the Red Cross... Uh, duo basically get to the top of the stairs. Elias basically pops out of the scene and calls them back down. Uh, and they he basically concocts a plan to 
go get the gyros in order to uh, pay them off and get get them out of the way with their donation, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just it, it seems like no matter if someone understood the situation at hand or if they had no no clue what was happening, no one really had an idea of what was truly right. going on between Elias and the mom at the time. Right. So it or was just, just assume that his the best place he could be is with his mother. Right. Yeah. So there was just like this weird disconnect where, you know, even if you wanted to get help, the people that he would reach out to typically would always just revert right back to the mother. Right. How sad. So did you want to talk a little bit about shit I didn't get? <laughs> so the 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 bones. What the hell? Where they found uh, where he finds the cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's uh, some some sort of like tiny little crypt, and he creeps in there, and there's a bunch of what looks like human bones and a cat. And they're like, "Oh, there's a cat," and they just take cat, and then we never talk about bones again. <laughs> Sorry, I was just really thrown off by that. I mean, what what the hell? Well, maybe. Okay, here's my theory on that. Maybe maybe the cat was never actually alive when he rescued it. Oh, shit. Oh, that's gross. And you know what I was thinking? Maybe he freaked out so much when um, he uh, or looked at it as a, as a dead cat later on because, like, he was really just, he's trying to connect with anything at this mm-hmm. point. Like, he's just, he just needs a friend. So, okay. Yeah, that's my, that's my theory. Dead. Yeah, the cat was like always that. dead, and he was just trying to befriend something and make believe that it was alive just like his brother. There we go. Boom. Got it. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Okay, let me see what I got next. Oh yeah, we I know we talked about the cornfield, but mm-hmm. okay, there's a lake, there's some woods, and there's a cornfield. Right. That is a whole lot of texture for one single home. <laughs> oh, and never oh, let's not forget our fucking crypt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, holy shit, there's a lot going on there. And I'm wondering like what that's all about. Oh, and we gotta talk about the town. There's nobody in the fucking town. That's a ghost town. But is it, or is it just supposed to be like, oh, there's nobody here for you. Like, no, there's nobody to help you. There's even town, but it's inaccessible to you because you're a child and nobody pays attention to you. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that is... That was nutty. I wonder if that's more so they just wanted to drum up the feeling of isolation that much more. Because really the I only... the only I, I look, I read into things too much. <laughs> the only other people that he really interacts with outside of the priest is uh, kind of like the... I'm trying to remember what terminology they use for... Delivery dude? Okay, they had the delivery guy, and then they had the person who upkeeps the church. Oh, the sexton. Yeah, the sexton, or who would basically be like a... Like a... Someone who, like, uh, like a crypt keeper, so to speak, or someone who, like, looks after the, the graveyards. Um, who was completely unbothered by the fact that there's a small child trying to get his attention. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what do you want? Get out of here. Scram, yeah. kid. Yeah, so all, all of the adult and child interactions in this movie were really bizarre and distraught. Although, I mean, I know that I I guess I was just going to say that people know that you you leave kids alone. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't really have a reason to have a conversation with a child you don't know unless it's to say, where's your mother or where's right. your where's your adult? Right. So, well, there is something to say about that, you know, that, you know, as, as we're, you know, trying to be on the uh, safer in general that, you know, we, we just, we, we, we might miss these big old red flags because we're like, where's your adult? 
I'm not supposed to be talking to you outside of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Might send the wrong idea. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, let me look at what else I got. We <laughs> talked about cornfields. We did that already. We talked. Did you want to talk about the house? Did you like the house? Nice big, you know, modern mansion. You know, the house is very open. You know, I I like the fact that uh, it's it has a ton of windows. Like <laughs> that's a lot of blinds for the mother to need to have closed at all times in this movie. Oh, I agree. Yeah. But I I thought it was interesting because the the house in itself was like super clean. But the second mm-hmm. Elias entered the house, it was dirty. <laughs> really? I think I missed that. I'm going to go back and catch that. Well, I mean, a lot of that was just from the initial, like, him entering the house after, quote, oh, right. playing with his brother, his, his dead brother, uh, after he's basically coming in from the rain, you know, tracking in oh, all the yeah. dirt. So go out and play in the rain for no reason. That's good stuff. Oh, I did notice that. Uh, okay, so we talked about the you know the bugs and how they come up in the movie, and mm-hmm. how it was like, well, why is he killing bugs? But then he collects bugs. But then the, I I am going right back to the thing where like the kid's not properly socialized because I think you know when the accident happened, he was really little. He was probably just going between like you know caretakers and therapists and shit like that, and never got to like you know develop properly in that way, and has no real se- sense of sympathy or empathy you know, to speak of. I mean, there's some there, but apparently not enough not to torture somebody who thinks is not his mother. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting. I will say we we are kind of like getting to the point where we typically would like to cut off. So so all in all, you know, this was a repeat viewing for uh, both of us. Um, I, I know before this, I'd only watch it one time. Uh, how about yourself? I watched it only one time. And I, like I was saying, I had all these different ideas about the movie. And mm-hmm. then when I rewatched it for this podcast, it was, I don't know, I was just, uh, I was seeing, I was seeing, uh, what do you call it? Uh, henchman or something left and right. I was, <laughs> but like I said, I, I appreciate it even more the second time, but it definitely had like a, it, it seemed like a completely different movie. And I thought that was just really wonderful. Right. So, you know, the, the reviewability of this movie our replayability is definitely there, knowing that, you know, if you go in knowing nothing, you know, you'll you'll have a different understanding once you realize the twist of the movie, and then when you watch it again, you can really start to see how 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 pinpoint the neglect is and just the miscommunication aspect between the right. mother and the son is, and you know, just little intricacies in the way that Elias acts or, you know, the company that he decides to keep because uh, it's primarily not living things, <laughs> uh, as we've talked about, with the finding the dead cat and pretending that it's live or, you know, just killing cockroaches and filling up the tank. Uh, but but all in all, like, this, this was an interesting movie. I, I will say it's more psychological thriller. It is, If, sure. you know, we're going to... If we're going to, like, generalize, like, what genre it's in as opposed to horror, but, like, it's definitely within this category... Uh, and it, it's a much different, like, killer kid movie than most of the movies that we'll be tackling, which uh, is is a very important, distinct thing about this one. So I'm glad that we got to tackle this one first. I'm excited for the next one. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's one of the great things about doing this show is uh, there are going to be times where we're going to be talking about a movie that... One of us, potentially both of us, haven't seen. Now, I 
selected the next movie. So next week, we are going to be talking about Bloody Birthday, released in 1981, directed by Ed Hunt. And when this... we watch this movie? <laughs> I Okay. I believe it was on Tubi. I'll double check, and I'll have the streaming links over in the show notes for people if they Perfect. want to watch ahead. Because uh, before, I was able to watch it on Shudder, uh, which is... No longer the case, but it is on TubiTV.com. So you can watch it there for free. Uh, you know, of course, Tubi has a lot of stuff, which uh, can be hard to find because of their search functions, which we have talked about. Not not a fan of Tubi in regards to the search functionality as well as Amazon Prime, but that is a rant for another day. Uh, but we'll be talking about Bloody Birthday, which uh, has some very bastard kids in it like these kids are just jackasses like they are just rotten to the core and there there are reasons outside of the kids that this movie is famous for but we'll get into that next week uh, on the show so with that being said you know I I think it's time that we call it a night here on hand to whisker so guys please do us a favor you know, we, we are just getting our feet wet. Obviously, we have a new format. We're, we're getting the flow of things. Uh, but let us know what you think of the show, the direction that we're taking. We're always looking for ways to improve the show. Uh, so feel free to reach out to us, write us a review over on iTunes or, you know, whatever major podcatcher outside of that is doing reviews. And I, I know not all of the podcatchers actually do that, but iTunes is essentially the go-to and it is one of the more popular uh, podcatchers out there so that's the best format to go to in that regard outside of that if you guys are looking to contact the show you can do so over on twitter at handle with scare uh, you can email the show at handle with scare pod at gmail.com we do have our website at handle with scare pod.com and we also have our discord uh, which you can find our link in the show notes uh, but for now, Holly, that is going to do it for us here tonight on Handle with Scare. So any final thoughts to conclude this week? No, I had a great time. I'm looking forward to Bloody Birthday. And uh, yeah, we'll chat next week. Absolutely. So everyone, you take care. Have a good night. And we hope to see you back on Tuesday for our next Twisted Tuesday. Uh, I don't know what we're watching yet. So I got I to gotta get on that. That's the only aspect I haven't updated yet. But, uh, you know... There's always new stuff happening over on the different streaming platforms as well as VOD releases, so I'm sure I will get to that here shortly. But for now, you enjoy your weeks, and we'll see you back next Wednesday to talk Bloody Birthday of 1981. I can't wait.